And you may be seated. Turn your Bibles with me. Mark chapter 1. We've been doing a series called Supernatural, Experiencing the Power and Presence of God in Everyday Life. In a nutshell, this is a series about knowing that God is near. The promise we read from Jesus two weeks ago was that the Spirit of God would abide in us, that He would live in us. It just makes logical sense that we'd be aware of God's presence. Uh, we've been talking, uh, actually two weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit, and it was kind of a two-part. It was called Welcome Holy Spirit Part 1, and today is 2. But the first time, and it's worth going back to if you missed it, but uh, the first time we looked at the Holy Spirit in the book of uh, in, uh, the Old Testament, we looked at how he moved through individuals. There was a man named Joseph, and Joseph was an incredible leader. He was a problem solver. Uh, he helped the nation in a severe famine. Well, Pharaoh recognized that it was the Spirit of the Lord that was in Joseph. So when I talk about this Holy Spirit, we're not talking about spooky, weird. Uh, we're talking about the reality of God moving in and through our lives. We talked about the Holy Spirit, what Jesus said about the Spirit and about Paul. Well, today I want to begin with John the Baptist. John the Baptist made a pretty incredible statement that is very much misunderstood, sometimes misapplied and ignored. But I want to read it, and I'm going to expound on it today. Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John the Baptist said, I have baptized you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, the two big questions are, what does that mean? And number two, is that relevant to me today? Is that just something that was, was what the early Christians were supposed to aspire to, this relationship with the Holy Spirit? Or does the Bible teach us that the Holy Spirit wants to have an active relationship with you today and He wants to do His works through your life? Now, we're going to dig into it today, uh, four parts. The first part, we'll talk about this idea of baptism. Did you know that in the New Testament, there's at least seven mentions of the word baptism? And the problem is there was no English word for baptism in the, uh, uh, to translate this Greek word baptizo. So it was a transliteration. They literally made up a word. And the whole concept is confusing to us. We'll talk about baptism uh, in, in particular. And then uh, I'm, uh, my position is that what happened to the Christians in the book of Acts, particularly as it related to the Holy Spirit and the miraculous, is not just church history, but it can and should be practiced today. In other words, the supernatural acts of God can happen in our lives today. Well, many uh, Christians believe in the Lord, believe in the Bible, going to heaven, they don't believe that. There's a great many of us. I was not raised this way. Many of us were taught to believe in what's called cessationism. I'm going to talk about that and why I believe it's wrong. And number three, we're going to look specifically in the Bible, the book of Acts. Um, I can learn from people, but I care a whole lot more what the Bible says than what somebody else tells me. We'll explore this today, the words of the Scripture. We'll look in the book of Acts about this experience people had with the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we'll look at a key word called promise. That we'll see that this promise of the Spirit's activity in, our li in, in the lives of the believers was not just for them, but, but for us. Let's begin. Go to the book of Acts if you've got your Bible. I hope you have it uh, in, in paper or, or certainly an electronic one. But I want to begin in Acts chapter 1 with kind of the question, what is this idea of baptism? And what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why is it important? Acts chapter 1, it begins this way. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now Luke is the author, Luke the physician, Paul's traveling companion. 
Paul, uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and now he's writing the book of Acts for this prominent person called Theophilus. Uh, but I want you to see this phrase. I dealt with all that Jesus began to do what? Do and teach. Now, teaching is very clear to us. We're very rational. We're very linear thinkers. And Jesus certainly taught the Bible. He taught truth. He taught revelation. But there was also a doing side to Jesus. Jesus would help people get free from demonic activity. Uh, he would help those that were sick. Uh, Jesus would, would, would do miracles. And when he writes this, uh, Luke, he said, Jesus began to do it. The idea is that Jesus began it when he was on earth, but Jesus said, it's necessary for you that I go to heaven because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And what I want to suggest to you, the ministry of Jesus Christ didn't stop when he went to heaven, but it multiplied itself through countless billions of people around the planet. And uh, uh, so this comes through the Spirit. Verse 2 says, until the day he was taken up, or Jesus went to heaven, he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. Now listen, to verse 4. While he's staying with the apostles uh, in, in Jerusalem, he ordered them not to leave, but wait, and here's the word, for the promise of the Father. I'm going to tell you what that is, which Jesus said, you heard from me. And then he said, John the Baptist, he baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So John the Baptist spoke of this. Jesus reiterated it, and Jesus again now, before he goes to heaven, says this is going to be actually happen, and the church will begin on the day of Pentecost. Now, what I want you to see in particular is, is the, the, uh, uh, this next phrase, verse 8, and it is the purpose. You will receive power. That power, the word for power, is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get, we get our, Greek, our English word dynamite, so you get the sense of some explosive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, but it doesn't stop there. It gives us the reason, so you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other end of the earth. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've got a job for you to do. Now, we're here today at all levels of our Christian faith. Some of us are here today, and perhaps you're not a Christian. You don't know if you died today, if you'd go to heaven or hell, but you're seeking God. Others have made a step to Christ and usually when people come to Christ, we come because we have needs, we have problems, and we want God to help make our life better. But somewhere along the line, we begin to mature. And then we realize that Jesus is not just about me, but he's called me to serve him. He's called me to do something with my life. And here's the whole point of the message. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God's called us to do in our life. I don't care if you're a Christian contractor, I don't care if you're a school teacher, I don't care if you're a pastor, a missionary, whatever you are, if you're a believer, we need the supernatural edge to do what we cannot do under our own strength and power. And this is what we're going to talk about. Now, this word baptism, when I say the word baptism, what comes to mind? Yeah, sure, water baptism. But again, I, I, let's define the word first. The definition of baptism is to dip or immerse that's immerse, that's what happened. We baptize with immersion uh, when people are baptized. Other words are plunge, sink, drench, overwhelm. So in the sense when you're baptized in water, you're overwhelmed with water. But there's another definition from a, a, a respected Greek lexicon referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says this baptism causes someone to have a highly significant religious experience involving special manifestations of God's power and presence. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. Anything that God will initiate and God will do. Um, but this word baptism, again, there, it, there's seven in the New Testament at least. A baptism in water. John the Baptist declared a baptism of repentance. repentance. It preceded the water. The water baptism was after they were a, a baptism of repentance. So what would that mean? Would that mean that I'm immersed in repentance. I'm overwhelmed with repentance. Uh, there was also, uh, uh, Corinthians says that the Israelites were baptized into Moses, baptized into the, the, the sea, the Red Sea. In other words, when they went through the Red Sea, they were overwhelmed by the water. In other words, it was all around them. Uh, there's also, when you become a Christian, you're baptized into the body of Christ. That's not water. That's, that's a, that, that somehow the Spirit immerses you in the body. Uh, there is a, uh, a baptism of suffering. Remember, Jesus talked about that. And lastly, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So again, the idea in all of this is there's going to be this overwhelming sense that accompanies baptism. And uh, somehow the Holy Spirit is connected to this. Now, I want to underscore the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to have fun in church. It's not entertainment. But Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit came upon you, you'd be my witnesses. And I, I have been a part of what's called historically the Pentecostal movement for 40 years. I was raised Methodist, uh, saved through the Gideons, ended up in a charismatic church. But whether you call it Pentecostal, neo-Pentecostal, full gospel charismatic, it all implies that the supernatural aspects of the Bible are available today. Uh, that the book of Acts is not just history, but the book of Acts is a model or a paradigm. And if that's new to you, or even if you disagree, I just want to ask you to listen to the presentation of Scripture this morning. Listen to the way we, we, we communicate. I think one of the errors that some in the Pentecostal movement made was there was a greater emphasis on what was translated speaking in tongues or an unlearned language than the purpose which was to give me power to be a witness. Uh, I understand it. I've been a part of it. Uh, it freaked many people out. Uh, it drove many people away. It, it deeply fulfilled many people. But I think we, had, we, we, we grabbed onto the good when the better was still before us. Now let me say this. I have the, uh, the gift, the ability to speak in this unlearned language that we'll learn about. Uh, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit as a young man, uh, 20 years of age in Alaska. Uh, I pray in the Spirit virtually every day. The Bible says this gives us an ability to pray uh, 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 to God from our spirit. I, I worship, I sing, uh, I, I talk to God. It's a spiritual prayer language. But that's not what I want to focus on today. I want to focus on the sense that we love the Lord. Jesus is our Savior, and he has a mission for our life. And we need spiritual power to do it. And this is what this whole idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with being filled with the Spirit. There's a number of words that are used. Uh, this was foundational in the early church. We see this idea throughout the book of Acts. Let me read a couple of verses. Acts chapter 4. Uh, you know the story of Peter and John. There's a miracle that's done. Uh, the Jews tell them to shut up talking about Jesus. And then Peter stands up. Now look at Acts 4.8. It says Peter, what's it say? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to them. Now he goes back to the, the, his friends, the church, verse 29, and their prayer is not about, Lord, keep us safe. Filling with the Holy Spirit, uh, I'm sorry, verse 29, 
He said, Lord, look on their threats and give us your servants, uh, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. In other words, this is the mission that they're on. They're asking the Holy Spirit to help them. But notice what else they pray for. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to, to heal, to do signs and wonders, miracles. Uh, and this was the, 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 the cry of the early church. Uh, verse 31, the, when they had prayed together, the place was shaken. And what's it say? They were all now, this is primarily the bunch that was at Pentecost. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? They speak the word of God with boldness. Again, our mission is to bring Christ to the world. We declare the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the world. But the New Testament was encouraged by Jesus to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to give you a capability that you don't have. Now, as I, talk, as I speak about being filled with the Spirit... Certainly it has a beginning. I believe the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit is this initial filling. But the Bible will teach us that the being filled with the Spirit is a continual process. If you read in Ephesians, there's a verse that says, Don't be drunk with wine. It's debauchery, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. And the, verse, the, the, the tense of the verb filled is a Greek tense we don't have in English, but is a continual tense. Be ye continually being filled. Now, I don't know if this is an apt definition or not, but uh, when you have a vehicle, how many know it just doesn't go perpetually? Let's say you're traveling across country and you're driving 70 miles an hour. You cannot drive 70 miles an hour from New York to California unless you do what? Pull over and get some gas, fill it up. I think the Christian life is a bit like that. I think the world, I think our flesh, I think our lack of discipline can some, and I don't like this to say drain the Holy Spirit, but in some way in, minimize his influence in our life. And what we want is maximum spirit influence, not minimal spirit influence. Let me give you another example. Stephen the deacon, Acts chapter 7, he's being martyred. He's preaching to this great crowd, but look at Acts 7.55, it describes him. It says, he, Stephen, was full of the Holy Spirit. And now he gazes into heaven and sees a vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Lastly, Acts chapter 9, we see it again. A man named Ananias going to Saul, who's, uh, who is going to be Paul the apostle. He's been blinded from a conversion experience when he's knocked off a horse. And Ananias says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me so you may regain your physical sight and be... Yeah, so this idea was, was instrumental or foundational in the early church. Now, many people don't believe it. And perhaps you're here like that today. Let me, let me suggest a couple things to you. First of all, let's talk about uh, cessationism. The definition of cessationism, I, I give you the definition of R.T. Kendall, uh, theologian, uh, earned Ph.D., multi, actually several Ph.D.s. In his book on understanding theology, he says cessationism is defined as this, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as taught in Ephesians, Romans, and Corinthians, as well as signs and wonders, ceased or stop with the early church in the completion of the New Testament. Many are taught that. However, his next phrase is significant. There's no biblical basis for cessationism. In other words, you cannot find scriptures that are absolutely clear that tell us that there's no longer supposed to be signs, wonders, and miracles. Listen, I went back and read the literature this week. There are marginal scriptures, but how many know sometimes the scripture is very clear and plain, and sometimes it allows you different interpretations and I think this was one. 
he goes as far as to say it serves as a, a cop-out or, uh, or an explanation for the absence of the miraculous in our world. Um, he even goes as far as to say that those that deny the supernatural, like signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Spirit, must conclude that it's either of the flesh or, the, or demonic. For me, one of the primary reasons I don't believe in cessationism is because it, is, is it totally ignores the model of Jesus. Now think about what Jesus did how he changed the world. First, Jesus himself preached the gospel and then demonstrated the power of God, healings, deliverances, other things. Then he sent out 12 apostles. What did they do? Preach signs and wonders. Then he sent out 70 more disciples. Same thing. And then he started the church on the day of Pentecost. Same thing. And then it's filtered through the pages of the whole New Testament. Uh, it, it is not even logical. If you just stop back just a second, why would Jesus start a model for church life and then stop it when the last apostle died? Now, but beyond that, I cannot find any conclusive biblical backing. It actually contradicts what Jesus taught. Now, as I've, I don't know if I've mentioned this yet, but I care more about what the Bible says than about what a man says. Look at me the same way. If I can't show you scripturally, don't take, don't take my word for it. Be like the Bereans who search the scriptures daily. Let me tell you what Jesus said in John 14. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. When he goes to the Father, he's sending the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's either, if I ask you, do you believe John 3, 16? Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish. Well, look what else he said. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. That's, a, that's Jesus, the words of Jesus. And the last reason I don't believe it is because uh, church history is filled with, with signs, wonders, miracles, miraculous healings, gifts, spiritual gifts happening, great scholarly works done on it. So now with that, I want to go to the Bible itself and not just what people say, but let's go to the book of Acts. Let's begin with the day of Pentecost, and let's look at two other examples, all showing us that there is a separate experience distinct and apart from salvation with this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, let's look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost, this is where the term Pentecostalism is arrived from. Uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The word wind, pneuma. Uh, it, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. It fills the house where they're sitting. And strange thing. Divided tongues as of fire appeared and rested on each one of them. I don't know what that means, but imagine like a match. You light it and there's fire. Imagine if that picture of fire rested on the head of every person. It was symbolic of what the Holy Spirit was doing in their hearts. And then we see it again, verse 4. They were all filled. So a synonymous term with the baptism of the Spirit is being filled with the Spirit, and then there was some outer expression. In this case, they spoke in this unlearned language as the Holy Spirit would give them utterance. It would become tongue and interpretation. It would become uh, a, a personal prayer language. Uh, it would even become a sign to the unbeliever. But I, that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the purpose. Because all of us here, if you genuinely love Christ, you're not just after a feel-good experience. You want God's help when you need to be comforted. I mean, no, when you need comfort, you need the comforter to help you. 
When you're approaching error, you need the spirit of truth to guide you. But we need the power of God to energize us in this work of the ministry. And that's what I want to focus on. Uh, let's look at a key verse, verse 16. Peter explains the experience. Now, this amazing thing has happened. Thousands of people are gathered outside because in this particular case, they heard them speak in a language that they didn't learn, yet they understood them. It's kind of like the Tower of Babel in reverse. And I mean, if God could do it at the Tower of Babel, <laughs> he could do it in reverse on the day of Pentecost. God is, has that capacity. Well, but in that particular case, they heard them declaring in their native languages. It was supernatural. Verse 16, of course, some of the people are mocking. They're laughing. Uh, I have been mocked much of my life, belittled as ignorant uh, by people who are probably less educated than I uh, because I believe in this experience and practice it. And that's what was happening to, among some of the people. Some of the people said, you're just drunk. But Peter says, no way, Jose. Well, he didn't say that, but, but anyway. He said, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He talks about the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to ask you a question before I read further. How many believe that, that we are in the last days today? In other words, days that are preceding the second coming of Christ. Days that were significantly impacted when Israel became a nation in 1948. Days that are being fulfilled as Jesus taught in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21 about the last days. Well, these last days, they believed it in the New Testament. They believed in what was called a doctrine of eminence that believed Christ would literally come back quickly. Well, now, it's been 2,000 years since then, so would it be fair to say that we're in the latter part of the last days? But listen to Peter's promise. Peter said this, this is what was uttered by Joel. In the last days, God declared, I will I will pour out my spirit. Now listen, I, I, I like, you know, having the stage lights and the screens and all that stuff. But that doesn't have spiritual power in it. That appeals to a culturally, you know, conditioned things in our flesh. Thank God for air conditioning or we probably wouldn't come, okay? We'd all watch the live stream. But, but there's some things that are cultural, but they don't have spiritual impact. We're talking about spiritual impact. He said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. In other words, there's going to be demonstrations of the Holy Spirit in the last days, and it started because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I shared with you before I began to preach, I, I don't have a website. I don't go to prophet.com and, 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 and to give you something that I feel like the Lord's saying. When I told you I felt like the Lord spoke to me during worship, I've learned to hear his voice. I've walked with him since 1976. And uh, I shared about the line, which side you're on, and asked people to bow their head, and probably 10, 12 people said, I felt like the Lord was talking to me. I'm going to choose to stay on God's side of the line and not the other. Didn't that help them? Isn't that what prophecy is supposed to do? 1 Corinthians 14, it says it strengthens, encourages, and, and it edifies us. Well, these are gifts of the Spirit that come from this source. Now, I want to look at the result, verse 21. After he's preaching to this crowd, Peter says, It shall come to pass that everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is why we're looking for the Spirit's power. And those who received his word are baptized now in water, and they're added that day 3,000 souls. 
So the purpose on this day of Pentecost of the Spirit's power was not to have an exciting church meeting, but it was souls being saved then and now. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. All right, let's, let's go deeper. Acts chapter 8 now, and let's look at a man. He's named Philip. Now, how many have been taught that it was the apostles that did the supernatural and the miracles, but no one else? You can raise your hand if you want to. I, I've been taught that sometime in my life. I want you to look at Philip. Philip is the deacon. Deacon was a servant. Philip the deacon left the city of Samaria, I went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed Christ. In other words, what happened is Stephen was being stoned. Uh, he's filled with the Spirit. He goes to heaven. Philip leaves, but he's leaving preaching Christ. I don't know about you, but if people were throwing rocks at my buddy, I wouldn't be real excited about, you know, <laughs> keeping doing the God thing. But the Holy Spirit's given him some umption to do it. Now notice verse 6. This is a deacon, okay? It's not the evangelist that you fly in from, you know, wherever. The crowds paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they heard and saw. Now, in my own ability, all I have the ability to do is to cause you to hear. If I make you see something and I generate it in my flesh and make it up, that's not God. And sadly, there's a lot of that in the world. I think from good mind people that just want to try to help God. I can't force what I'm talking to you about to happen. But I can try to create a biblical basis of truth and create a hunger in your heart. Have you ever found that maybe you're in a, in a room, let's say you're in your living room at home, and uh, the, 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 uh, it, it gets dark. Let's say you start watching this movie. It's Sunday. Great. Now I'm taking a nap. How many Sunday nappers? So you raise your hand on that one. I'm a Sunday napper. Well, let's say you lay asleep, you, you, you fall asleep and, and uh, end the day watching TV and you wake up and it's dark and uh, nobody's home but you. And of course, you got your bag of popcorn and stuff all over. But, but, but you, you wake up and you say, man, I need a light. I, I don't, and we don't have any light bulbs. So it's dark. So you go around the house and you look for a, a, another lamp and you unplug it. And now you're going to go in, back in your living room and you're going to feel around and you're going to get the cord and hold it in your hand. Please be careful. Don't shock yourself. But you're trying to find the place for those two cords to go in. And when it goes in, the lights come on. Well, this is what I'm trying to encourage you to do spiritually with God. God, I want this power. It's dark. I can't do much because I can't see. I need the light of God. Are you with me to shine today? There's some pursuit. There's some longing. There's some seeking in this. Uh, anyway, uh, unclean spirits, verse 7, cried out with a loud voice. You said, Pastor, surely you don't believe there's demons today. You don't? Uh, gee, I do. Because the Bible teaches it. Unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice, came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Sounds like Peter the Apostle, doesn't it? But it's not the fact that he was an apostle. It's the fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit that caused this to come. Now, that gets a little interesting. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God, they're Christians, they sent Peter and John who prayed for them that they might... Oh, you, you, you didn't say that very loud. Prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for, and here's another word, that he had not yet fallen on any of them. So now we see the word baptism in the Spirit, uh, filled with the Spirit, the Spirit falling on people. 
But clearly they're Christians. They've been baptized in Jesus' name. And then verse 17, they laid their hands on them. It's not because their hands were magic. It was a point of spiritual transference. We may teach on it one day. But there was an impartation. Their faith believed that when they prayed for them and laid hands on them, the Spirit of the Lord would come on them. And uh, that's pretty incredible, but that's what happened. Now, let me be very clear about this. Once you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. That God awareness, that God consciousness that came when you invited Christ in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not just you have a new way of thinking. So when you're born again, the Spirit of God lives inside you. Romans even says this, if we, I, I, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's why what I see in this is not a first encounter with the Holy Spirit for salvation, but a second experience. Believers baptized in water now have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm preaching a little better than you're amening. I just hope you're thinking Let's look at a third uh, passage, Acts 19. I think this is the clearest example in Scripture, is that there is a second distinct experience from salvation. Uh, Paul came to Ephesus and he found some disciples, implying followers of Christ, and he said to them, the strangest thing, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now why did he ask that? It seems like in the New Testament they had maybe a better understanding. They were more acquainted. They certainly saw, understood the need for it, perhaps more than us. But they said, no, we, we've not even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. So now he's got to straighten them out theologically. He says, well, into what were you baptized? And you're going to see three different baptisms here. They said, into John's baptism. What was it? A baptism of, of repentance. Baptizing to John's baptizing, uh, uh, telling the people to, to believe in the one who's going to come after him, that's Jesus. In other words, repent from your sins and believe in Jesus. They're Christians. But then, verse 5, they're baptized in water in the name of Jesus. So we've got uh, repentance baptism, water baptism. And then here again we see this strange thing. Paul lays his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit does what? He comes on them. And then they begin this outer expression. In this case, they spoke in this unlearned language to glorify God, and they, and they were prophesying this spiritual gift. The point in this is, undoubtedly, these are Christians, as I read at least the second and third category to you. Many theologians would say the baptism of the Spirit on Pentecost was the birth of the church. Yeah, but how about Philip, and how about our brothers in Ephesus? The argument begins to shrink because there is a second experience. Now, I, I want to focus on the promises for today. Now, remember I told you I'd come back to the word promise. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, where we began this morning, Jesus ordered the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the, wait for the promise of the Father. The Father would, would, would send the Spirit. They would baptize people in the Spirit. And this is what the promise was. Now, I want to pick up that same word to show you the continuity of thought. And chap Acts chapter 2, verse 33, this is after the day of Pentecost, after Peter is preaching, and now this crowd of 3,000 people are all convicted of their sins and basically say, what should we do? Well, now here's where Paul jumps in. He says, Jesus, being exalted at the right hand of God, received from the Father the, the promise. What was the promise? That God would pour out his Holy Spirit. Jesus sent this promised Holy Spirit to the, to the early church. He's poured out what you're seeing and hearing. 
In verse 37, they said to Peter, well, what are we going to do? And Peter said to them, most importantly, repent, baptism of repentance. Two, be baptized, water baptism, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. How many know there's nothing more important than that? But then he adds this, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39 says this, that's the spirit baptism. For the promise is for you and your children, period. The promise is for you and your children, and all children are born until the Bible is completed. The promise is for you, your children, and the children of the apostles, and then it's over. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are like 2019, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. When I heard that for the first time, I'll tell my story in a little bit when I was in Alaska. Uh, I had been raised Methodist and grateful for my heritage, but this was all new to me. And I went in a little Assembly of God church, and they, and, and, and they scared me. But I, I, I sensed the Lord. I sensed the Holy Spirit that I had come to meet Christ through on August 15, 1976, when I was saved. And I was drawn to it. But I wouldn't just take their word for it. I read the Bible. And this was probably the key verse that did it for me. Is that God promises there is this encounter with the Spirit that's not just for the Bible believers, but for all who the Lord our God calls. This is why I choose to believe the Bible rather than uh, other people at times. Uh, let me kind of head to the end here and, 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 and wrap this up. How do we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm going to suggest two things. One is spontaneous. That's between you and God. Second is when people lay their hands on us. That's what we've been reading about. But let's talk about the spontaneous a second. Uh, it, it happened a, a second time after Pentecost. M many theologians call this the Gentile Pentecost because it's so similar to the first one. But Cornelius was there. Cornelius was a God seeker. Now here's something that I've found in my life. You take it or leave it. But I've been in Christian ministry about 40 years. I have some people that will say, well, if Jesus wants me, he'll just have to come get me. He's probably not coming. I've had people say, well, if the Lord wants to give me this gift or give me something, the Holy Spirit, he can just give it to me if he wants to. You're probably not going to get anything. There's something about the power of seeking. There's something about drawing near. James says, if I draw near to God, what does God do? He draws near to us. So Cornelius is what's called a God-fearer. He's not, a, he's not a, a, a Jew, but he's a fearer of the God, uh, of, the, of the monotheistic God of Jehovah. Uh, he's a good man. He helps people. And uh, anyway, if we had time, and maybe we will later, multiple visions. Peter's praying, doesn't know Cornelius has a vision. Cornelius is praying, doesn't know Peter. He has a vision, and they meet together. There's no accident or luck to it. Anyway, so Acts chapter 10, Peter's talking to this group of people. And verse, uh, verse 44, while Peter was saying these things, he's preaching Christ, the Holy Spirit fell. Spontaneous. I can't make this happen. I can turn down the lights and turn up the air and turn on the music. Come on. But I can't make the Holy Spirit fall. I mean, oh, this is why we have to be desperate for Him and not try to just repeat what happened to us. Uh, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. In verse 46, they're hearing them. Here we go. They're speaking in this unlearned language. 
which is a good thing, by the way. I know I'm minimizing it today, but I didn't want to make that the focal point. Paul said he spoke in this language more than anyone, that it gave them the ability. Read 1 Corinthians 14. It gave him the ability for his spirit to talk to God, even when his mind didn't, didn't fully understand. Anyway, uh, he said, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Now we have salvation, spirit baptism, and then water baptism. Uh, who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And then, my last scripture on this, Paul tells the uh, Jerusalem elders about the experience. And he said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Notice how it ties together. Just as on us at the beginning, day of Pentecost, and I remembered the word that Jesus said, John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you in a nutshell my, my testimony. I've told you I, I, I was saved. I loved Jesus. I had no clue about what these Assembly of God folks were talking about. But I went in, and I remember they kind of laid hands on me, pushed on me a little bit. And uh, they were genuine and sincere, but I heard somebody speak in this tongues, and it scared me. But the more I got into the Bible, strangely, I was drawn there. Even though my mind was a little confused, I was drawn there because of the Spirit of God was in their midst. And, 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 and they began teaching me the Bible, and I began reading this, and finally I started seeking on my own. And I was really seeking God deliberately, and I, and, and I, I left church one night. People had prayed for me. You know, I didn't not aware of anything that had happened. But I was walking home from the chapel up on the hill to the barracks. It was a long walk, and I love the outdoors. And I'm singing these little simple praise courses. Now, true story. And all of a sudden, rather than singing this praise chorus, Maranatha hymns or whatever, in, in, in English, I'm singing in a language I, I didn't know. Now, I don't want you to laugh at me, but the first thought in my logical mind was Methodists don't do this. <laughs> but the next thought in my mind that I believe was from the Lord was a quote from Luke 11, 11, where it talks about a father giving a son bread, not a scorpion. And then it says, if you know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? And once again, it was not an experience that determined for me what I believed. It was the basis of the Bible that caused me to have faith and step out and have an encounter with God. And I would say this to you. I, I have had, outside of my initial conversion experience on August 15, 1976, that's been the most dramatic spiritual experience in my life because it has set a new tone for everything about me. And if there's anything that you're attracted to while you come and listen, when I open the Bible, it's not John Miller and it's not that I went to Fuller Seminary. I'm telling you what it is, friends. It's the Holy Spirit. Come on. Yeah. Speaking through a man that sought God and prayed, endeavoring to communicate the Scripture and truth. All right, I'm going to close with this last one. So sometimes just you're seeking God and desiring, but again, not just desiring the experience to say, now I got it walking around with that extension cord saying, Lord, where's the power? Because I want to be able to see and I want to be able to do something in this room. I don't want to sit in this room all night and stare at the dark. I've got things to do and I've got things to do for the kingdom. Here's the last one. Laying on of hands for spiritual impartation or transference. It's not magic. It's simply a faith-activated touch. This belief that the Spirit of God can move from one person to the next. We see it here in Acts 9. Ananias, again, I read it earlier about Paul. 
He goes when Saul is blinded because he was knocked off a horse. Remember, Jesus appeared to him. He's blinded. He's got him where he wants him. He said, he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you has sent me so you may regain your sight, physical sight, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is something I would encourage you to do. I did this all the time, and I still do it. Because again, being filled with the Holy Spirit may have a starting place, but my tank gets empty as I go. I want what we call spirit-filled people, people hungry for God. I want them praying for me all the time. I just want to go up to them and I just say, would you just lay your hands on me and just pray God touches me. I go up for prayer during the prayer time. I'm not praying because my wife's beat me at home. I'm going up to my friends and I'm saying, would you pray that the Holy Spirit anoints me today? Would you pray that God speaks through me? See, we want our tank to be full so we can go as far for God as we can. Come on, give him a big, a big hand today. And uh, I'll close with this thought. Being filled with the Spirit is important today because it is the source of spiritual power to accomplish our mission. The New Testament formula for church life, they preached Christ, they demonstrated the power of the Spirit with the result, the salvation of souls. It happened to them in the Bible. The Bible clearly teaches it can and should happen to us. Come on, give the Lord one more good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand up with me just a minute? And I, I want us to take just a minute to, to pray. Don't worry about your kids just a minute. Some of you can't leave your kids up there long enough. I understand that. <laughs> but don't worry about them just a second. And don't worry about Cracker Barrel. I'm assured they're still going to have hot biscuits and especially that hot cornbread. But I want you to take just a minute because I have shared with you some things that even in the course of my own life were at one time resisted. But then I opened my heart to a, an understanding when I read those scriptures about in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. When Jesus said those that believe in me, he'll do not only the works that I've done but somehow greater works. I believe on the day of Pentecost in the last days God's going to pour out on his spirit on all flesh and prophecy is going to come and, 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 and dreams and visions are going to come. I don't know about you, but I want God to do it through me. Because I don't have long on this earth. You say, what's wrong, Pastor? I'm a human being just like you. I looked in the mirror with Linnell the other day and I asked my wife, who's that old man with you? What happened? I was 30-something when I came. Now I'm 60. Your life's going to go just like that. And for the dedicated Christian, there's nothing more important than serving Christ. There's nothing more important than fulfilling the destiny on our lives. There's something more important than vacations and cars and houses and turkey hunting. It's doing what God's called me to do and being the person He's called me to be. Well, I got news for you, friends. We got a plug in our hand and we need the power to turn it on. Could we just ask the Lord to fill us afresh with His Spirit? If you want to join in this prayer, just lift your hands to heaven a moment. And just say, Lord, I want every good thing that you've got. Come on, you pray that right now. Lord, keep me from, I don't want anything weird. I don't want anything that's not true. But, but God, I want everything that you've got. I want to see the Holy Spirit work through me in a mighty way. I, I want to see prayers answered. I want to be able to have spiritual gifts. I want to be able to pray for miracles to happen and even see one. 
I want to pray, God, for a sick person and grateful for the doctor's care, but I want to see a miracle. And God, I believe these things because you teach it in the Bible. And I'm not going to let my theology be determined by my experience. I'm going to let the Bible determine my theology and pray my experience lines up. So, Lord, would you just fill us right now with the Holy Spirit? Would you empower us as we leave this place today to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, speaking and doing just like Jesus started? Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Welcome. Won't you just tell him, Lord, you've got the right to do with me whatever you want to do. I don't want just a Savior, but I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And I take that step of Lordship today. In Jesus' name. We're going to close like this with one song and then dismiss. I'm going to invite our prayer team back to the front. As always, they're here to pray for anything. I, I would think, gosh, if you're here and this really touched you, you might want somebody to lay their hands on you and pray for you just like we read about in the Bible, but we'll pray about anything. But the bigger prayer today is, is for the group that I've neglected. Because you see, friends, I've been talking to Christians today that are followers of Christ. I was raised in church and grateful for it, but how many know going to church doesn't make you a Christian? Becoming a Christian is, well, for example, let's say, uh, let's say uh, you're at the Amtrak station and that train wants to take you somewhere. That train's like the Lord. He, he's got a plan for your life. One day you're going to heaven. And that conductor says, all aboard. Well, how I many know until you get on the step and get on the train, you're not going anywhere. And it's the exact same thing with being a Christian. There's a defining moment in life where we repent, which means if the cross represents Christ and all he stands for, all of us live our lives going this way. But sooner or later, something happens that makes us pause and realize I do believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He was the Son of God. I believe He's the Savior of the world. And I want to follow Him. And is that step of believing and following Christ when Christ comes in your life and you become a Christian. You are born again as a Christian. And maybe that's a step you feel God wanting you to take today. Maybe for the first time or maybe you've gotten away from God and you want to come back to God. But I want to encourage you, friend, if you need to get right with God today, don't wait. As soon as we start playing this song, let me just encourage you, slip out of your chair and come to the cross. Someone will meet you there to pray with you. They'll talk with you. They're going to give you some things to help you. I promise you we won't embarrass you because there's something powerful about walking away. Walking away from my old and walking towards what represents Christ. We'll pray about anything, but I hope you're listening. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. Our prayer team's coming to the front right now. If you need prayer for anything, you come. One last time through the song, but most importantly, you want to get your life right with God, we'll see you at the cross. I love you and thanks for coming.